Welcome to the podcast of Woburn Baptist Church. We hope that you enjoy listening to the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Turn your Bibles to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. We're going to finish up the book of Titus today. Uh, you know, it took me three sermons to get through chapter one it took me two sermons to get through chapter two, and we're gonna we're gonna go three, two, one. We're gonna get uh, chapter three all done today, just in time. Uh, we'll look at the resurrection next week. We sang the song at Calvary. I want to remind us of the words um, of that chorus: "Mercy there was great, and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me." There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. What is it that can motivate us to obey? Uh, Titus has has really been filled with uh, the answer to this question. Our, Our obedience to God, our obedience to Jesus, what fuels us as we live the Christian life is not a sense of, of duty, of, of, of doing something just so that we can gain acceptance before God or anything like that. But our motivation, what fuels the obedience to Jesus Christ is grace. It's that amazing grace. Oh, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. So when we look at Titus chapter 3, we see some commands. We see some things that God is telling us must characterize our lives. But we also see He gives us the reason for those commands. He, he tells us why and, and what we see that's, that's so amazing here in the first part of the chapter The reason that He gives is grace. We are to obey. We are to be submissive to authorities. We're supposed to uh, be obedient and be ready for every good work because of a motivation of grace. That's what we're going to see. Let's read the text. All of uh, Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But... When the goodness and loving kindness of our God of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. 
These things are excellent and profitable for you. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. For they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. When I sent Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way, and see that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases in so as to help cases of urgent urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. May it be our treasure above all other treasures. Lord, may we reverence and value your word. For it brings life to us. Father, we pray that you would give us ears to hear. And eyes to see your glory on the pages of these scriptures. Lord, I pray that you would be with me. I pray that you would give me grace. I don't deserve to be up here. I don't deserve to preach your gospel. The Lord, in your grace... You've placed me here. And I need you. I need your strength. I need your grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Remind us of where we are here. Titus was a pastor that Paul had left there in the island of Crete. Um, Paul, as he would go about on his missionary journeys, he would, he would go and he would preach the gospel in, in many places. He wouldn't stay to be able to set up church the way that it needed to be. But he would leave someone behind there in order to set things in order. To be able to establish leadership and all the things that go into a, a, a functioning church. So Paul, he, he left Titus here and we've already seen how... how uh, He gave instructions for what is the kind of character that should should, uh, be found in a leader of the church. He gives qualifications for those who would be pastors or elders in the very first part of the chapter. He warns against false teachers. And particularly those who were of the circumcision party. Those who would uh, add to just simple faith in Jesus. Those who would say, you, you, if you, you want to be a believer, then you trust in Christ, but you also have to do this. You also have to do that in order to be saved. They would add to just the simple message of Jesus. This was false teaching that Titus was told to stand up against. 
We saw how he also gave instructions that the older men should disciple younger men, the older women should disciple younger women, and so we pass on the faith from one generation to another. That was the pattern of the early church, and it should be our pattern as well. We build relationships, and we have one-on-one discipleship from one generation to another. If you're a believer in Jesus, uh, we, we've talk, I've said this before, but we all need a Paul and a Timothy. We need someone who we're looking up and we're learning from, and we need someone who we're teaching along the way. And that's how the chain goes unbroken. We saw last week Paul's explanation of how the grace of God had appeared. And it's the grace of God which trains us to renounce ungodliness. It's the grace of God that opens our heart, that causes us to repent of our sins and to trust in what Jesus has done. Now finally, Titus, Paul here is just summing everything up for, for Titus and he's giving us some instructions First of all, he says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities and to be obedient. We live in a culture that rebels against authority. We don't want anyone to tell us what to do. Paul here is is saying to to Titus that he is to command, to, to teach believers to be submissive to those in authority. I think he's talking about specifically the, the civil authorities. Talking about uh, m- not only at, at a national level, uh, but also on a local level. We ought to obey the laws of the land. There's enough things that people have to criticize Christians about. We, have, we, we believe in God's word. We believe that a dead man rose back to life. We believe that he has given us Rules to live by. We believe that God has designed marriage as, as between one man and one woman. And when we say that, the world has enough to criticize us for. So let's be good citizens. Let's be obedient to the laws of the land so that the world, as they look at our lives, they don't have any room to criticize us for the wrong things. There's already enough to criticize us about when we hold firm to what the scriptures teach about marriage, about all kinds of things. He says to be ready for every good work. We need to live lives that are characterized by good works. Not in order that we can be accepted by God. We're accepted by God through the cross. Through what Jesus did by shedding His blood for us. We can never do enough good works to be able to earn His grace. But when when His grace trains us to renounce ungodliness, trains us to renounce what we used to be, the the outworking of that is a life that is characterized by good works. I got to spend some time with Dorothy this week. She was needing some uh, some help with some lawn work. um, And I I kept... uh, 
kept going and visiting her and, and uh, uh, I kept having the excuse, well, I'll, I'll try to find someone else. I'm too busy. I'll try to, and, and time just kept going by. And finally, I was like, okay, it's a nice day. I'm going to go spend some time with Dorothy. So we, we, uh, we did some picking up sticks and, and uh, raking some leaves and, and uh, we spent some, some good time together. Um, that's the kind of life that should characterize all of us. We should live lives of good works. We should take care of one another. When one person has a need, then we step in and we help take care of those kinds of needs. Uh, Galatians says that we are to do good to all, especially those of the household of faith. We, we take care of the needs of those who are a part of our body, as well as to those outside. To be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, and to avoid quarreling. To be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Our, our temptations, when we have disagreements with people, whenever we don't get along on certain things, to start talking about those things with other people, and dissension begins to arise, but here... Paul tells Titus not to do that, not to be speaking evil of other people, and not to be quarreling, but to, to let our own will down for the sake of God's glory. I think my son's having a little problem there. Maybe he's feeling conviction of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> All right. Now he gives us the first reason. The first reason we're to live those, those kinds of lives, the lives that are characterized by good works, lives that are uh, not um, speaking evil of other people, lives that are um, submissive to rulers, the reason why that he gives us first is because of our past, because of what we used to be. He says, first, uh, for, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedience, uh, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. Passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. What will motivate us to, to be obedient, to be submissive, to be, have lives that are characterized by good works? It's our past. Looking at our past and knowing Jesus has changed me. I'm not what I used to be. I'm not where I should be, but I'm not what I used to be. Amen. He points to our past first. Now, sometimes our past, that can be discouraging. When we look at our past, boy, that oh, you don't know what I've done. But then he brings in another thing. Verse 4. We, we're motivated by our past, what we used to be. But he then says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. We're not only motivated to be obedient, we're not only motivated to be submissive and to live lives of good de deeds because of our past and what we used to be, but we're motivated because God in his loving kindness has saved us. He has saved us from the judgment and wrath of God that we deserve. We are all sinners. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And by our sin we earn death. We earn the judgment and wrath of God. 
to be poured out on us. But it says here that the kindness, the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior has appeared. It's talking about Jesus coming. Throughout the ages, throughout the Old Testament, there was this looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, and that Messiah, the one who would die for our sins, appeared. This goodness and loving kindness of God is finally here. It says that He saved us. He saved us from God's judgment. He saved us from our own sin. And it says, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. I can beat this drum all day long. He doesn't save us because of our own righteousness. Because we were good enough, because we were smart enough, because we're, we're just a good person God didn't save us because we were able to get it all right. He didn't save us because we were able to follow the right kind of how-to steps. He saved us by His mercy. We didn't do it. We, didn't, we could never do enough. We were like that, that dirty little thing in the mud. Nobody would even give us a second look. And He came along and He picks us up and He washes us and He cleanses us and He makes us His own. There wasn't anything good about us. But by His mercy, by His mercy, it says, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. This is talking about the new birth. The new birth. Bradley here read scripture from uh, Ezekiel chapter 36. It's talking about how God would come to His people Israel and He would wash them. He would sprinkle clean water on them. He would give them a new heart. He would take out that heart of stone and He would put in them a heart of flesh. That's what we need. We cannot fix ourselves. We cannot change ourselves by our own willpower, by our own effort, by our own intelligence. We can only be fixed by the God of grace who puts a new heart in us. It says, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. This is what John talks about in John chapter 3 when Nicodemus comes and he talks to Jesus by night. And Jesus tells him, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus, of course, he has trouble understanding what this means. And Jesus says you must be born both of the Spirit and of water. So you've got to be born both physically and the new birth. You have to be born again. This is what this is talking about here. When we are saved, it's not because of our own goodness. It's not because of our own righteousness. It's because God has mercy and we are changed. He washes away our sin. He regenerates us. He gives us a new heart. And we are renewed by the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Changing us. Making us more and more like Jesus every day as we pursue Him. 
says the Holy Spirit, He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. God was not stingy when He gave us the Holy Spirit. He poured out the Holy Spirit richly on us. Sometimes we're, at Baptist, we're sometimes afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit. But we all, if we are believers in Jesus Christ, if we have trusted in Him, we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit and He is not stingy. But He has poured out the Holy Spirit richly to us. We need to live a life where we're constantly aware that He is present with us. If we are trusting in Christ, He is present with us. He does not abandon us. And that means whenever we go to that place where we ought not to go, or when we look at that thing we ought not to look at, He is there present with us as well. The Holy Spirit is there. And He gives us the strength the ability that we need to be able to turn away from sin. We need an awareness of His presence there with us to be able to turn away from the deeds of darkness that used to characterize us. Verse 7, So that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Talks about two things in this verse. First of all, justification. What does it mean that God has justified us? Well, some have said it's it's God has made us just as if we'd never sinned. Just as if I'd never sinned. Justification is is a legal term. We were guilty before God because of our sin and because of our faith in Jesus. When we trust in Him, not because we've done any good works, but simply because we trust in Him, He has declared us righteousness. It's that verdict that the judge gives. Rather than declaring not guilty, He considers us justified. Justified. We are, we are just as if we had never sinned. God sees us legally as if we had never sinned. So that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Though we have sinned, though we have done all kinds of things, we have rebelled against His authority. And though we deserve hell itself, God has made it to where we can be made right with Him, that we can be called His children, that we can be joint heirs with Jesus. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, the meek shall inherit the earth. When we come to that point where we, we, we abandon our own efforts, we are meek. That's the kind of meekness that is talking about there. We are meek. We are humble. We're no longer trying to do it in our own works, and our own effort. And we will inherit all things with Jesus Christ. Verse 8 the saying is trustworthy, and I want you want to, you to insist on these things, 
so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable. He began with a command, remember? And then he, has, he gave us an explanation of why. He, this explanation is, he, he looks at our, we look at our past, what we used to be, and we're not that anymore. And he explains the gospel. We're to, we're to be obedient to these commands because of what God has done in His grace. And then he comes back around full circle. And he says, insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. We're right back where we began. We need to have lives that are devoted to good works. Not because we're going to somehow gain acceptance before God because of them, but because of what He has done in Jesus Christ. He has given us a new heart. He has forgiven us. He has made us clean. And that is to be the motivation for us, to be able to be empowered to go out and do good works. Then he gives us a contrast. What we are to do is to be doing good works in contrast, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Doing good works, that's profitable. That's profitable, it says. It's excellent and profitable. Those are the kinds of things that draw that make the gospel attractive. When we live lives of good works, people look at our lives and they see how we've been changed by Jesus and it brings glory to God and it makes others want to come to Him as well. But when we get drawn down by foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, those things are unprofitable and worthless. I want to point us back to the end of chapter 1. What were the false teachers What was the thing that characterized the false teachers? They were legalists. They were demanding that people become circumcised before they could become a Christian. They were trying to hold on to the Old Testament things. Not that the Old Testament is good. The Old Testament teaches us about God's character. I mean, in Timothy, in 2 Timothy, God says that... that, uh, all of Scripture is God-breathed. And it... it, um, makes us so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So it's not that the Old Testament is bad, but it's this reliance on a legalistic reading of it. It's, it's genealogy. When it's saying genealogy here, I think it's talking about trusting in your family line. Well, I'm from this line. Uh, I'm of the tribe of Judah. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. And, and, and thinking that somehow earns us some kind of favor before God. Well, well, I've got two grandfathers who were preachers. Oh, every, every young man in my family is a pastor. I can say both of those things. It doesn't get me anywhere before God. Those things are unprofitable and worthless. 
Verse 10, for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. God takes division seriously. He wants us to be unified. He wants us to love one another. He wants us to forgive one another. And if somebody is just continually stirring up that division, things will calm down for a little while, but then stirs it up again. Things calm down for a little while, then they stir it up again. Paul here gives the warning. He says, don't let that continue to go on. If that continues to go on, warn them once and then twice. And if they continue to stir up division, have nothing to do with them. We've talked before about church discipline. Matthew 18 says that if your brother sins against you, you go to them once, individually. You you confront them about their sin. If they still don't turn from their sin, you, you go to them along with some others for accountability. You go along with some others, if they still don't turn from their sin, you bring it before the church. And, and this passage here gives us one of those things that, are, that is worthy of discipline, and it's division. It's stirring up division within the church. Verse 12. He begins to close the letter now. And, and, and it would be easy just to kind of skip over this as if it's not important, but, but it's all of God's Word. Every word is God's word. Let's look at what it says. When I send Artemis or when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. What kind of meaning are we supposed to get from that? I see one thing. Paul loved the people there that Titus was ministering to. He wanted to see them. He wanted to spend time with them. And so, whenever he was going to send these Artemis or Tychicus to them, he wanted to see them. So he said, have them come to me at this city at uh, Nicopolis so that I can spend some time with you and get to know you better, just to be able to teach you. He loved the people that he taught. I read something on Twitter this week. A pastor that I know, he said, if the seminaries produce pastors who don't want to spend time with the sheep, the seminary should all shut down. As Johnny Hunt has said, and as some others have reminded me, shepherds smell like sheep. I want to tell you what, I've been your pastor here for two years. It is, I believe it's the anniversary Sunday that I have been here now for two years as your pastor. I was filling in from January to April, but I've been your pastor for two years. And I want to tell you, it has been a great learning experience for me. And I came into this position knowing that there were relational aspects to it, but I I, I was still really weak and I was still really learning. And I want to say, one of my failures so far has been that I have not spent enough time with each of you. And I'm going to confess that and I want to repent of that. 
that, that I have not spent enough time. Shepherds smell like sheep. I need to spend more time with each of you. you know, this week, you know, I spent some time with, with uh, Dorothy. We were working in her yard. It was good fellowship. It was great. I just want to say, my, my schedule is freeing up. Because I'm no longer working a 40-hour week and trying to pastor you guys. But, but I have more time on my hands. I'm going to have even more here really soon because I, I, I've, I'm going to be working from home doing a, doing a project 15 hours a week. So I've got time. If, if you've got some project, I want to invite you. Call me. Let's get it on the schedule. And I'll be glad to come and help you just to spend time with you, to rub shoulders side by side. And I think I can be a better pastor for it just to spend time with you in your homes, fishing together, hunting together. I'd love to learn to hunt. <laughs> I haven't done it before. I've done a little bit of squirrel hunting with my BB gun. Shepherds smell like sheep. And Paul, he wanted to spend time with the congregation there that Titus was pastoring. Number verse 13, do your best to spend Zenus the lawyer send Z- speed Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. Zenus and Apollos were supposed to be ministers for the gospel. They were missionaries going out from that congregation. And Paul said, send them out generously. See that they lack nothing. You know what? We need to be generous givers when it comes to spreading the gospel. You know, we're going to be taking the, the Annie Armstrong Easter offering next week. And it's for missions sake. We need to... Make sure that our missionaries, that we cooperate together as Southern Baptists, they lack nothing. That's how we can put that into practice. Verse 14, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need, not to be unfruitful. We just keep, keep coming to that, do, doing good works, doing good works. Not on the basis of trying to gain acceptance before God. But because our lives have been changed, we've experienced His grace, and He has made us a people who want to bring Him glory by our good deeds. And finally, verse 15, All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Those last words, grace be with you all, that really sums it all up, doesn't it? It's about grace. We could do nothing to save ourselves. We were sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, but the Master lifted me. But the Master of the sea heard my despairing cry from the waters lifted me, now safe am I. We could do nothing. But by His grace, He has saved us. He has washed us. He has given us new hearts so that we can bring Him glory in lives devoted to good works. Thank you for listening to this message from Woburn Baptist Church. For more information, please visit us at www.wilburnbaptistchurch.org or you can also like us on Facebook.